Well, as we come to our time of hearing from the Word of God, I would invite you to open your Bibles. If you have them, open the Bible app on your phone. Select the language and a translation version that you'd like to look at. And I will read to you from the English Standard Version from Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. Ezra 7, 1 through 10. Ezra is at the end of the historical books of the Bible before the poetical books begin. And we'll give you a little background on why we're jumping in there in just a moment. So let's look at Ezra 7, 1 through 10. The words are on the screen if you'd prefer to look at it up there. Please listen to the word of the Lord, his holy, true, life-giving, inerrant, infallible, perfect word. Ezra 7. Now after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra the son of Seraiah, son of Azariah, son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, son of Amariah, son of Azariah, son of Marayot, son of Zerahiah, son of Uzi, son of Buki, son of Abishua, son of Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For on the first day of the first month, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. Let's pray. Father, this is your holy, true, life-giving word. We want to profit from it. We want to see how we can learn from what you have said, to know you better, to see where we are to go, to have confidence in your care and your promises, to trust you more, to devote ourselves more to you, so I pray that this would be a time of learning and exploration, and it would also be a time of commitment and resolve, that we would not just know what you have said, but that we would want to do it, and that you would grant us the favor of the gift of seeing your word bear fruit in the lives of the people here, our friends, our church family, and also in the lives of those we touch who are not here this day, who do not even know you right now. We ask that you would do this because you have promised that your word will not return void, and we ask you to build us up and encourage us as we dig into this part of your scriptures. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as many people, I'm sure, are saying to you, and as I've heard a number of times as people were arriving this morning, I hope you had a good Christmas. And I don't, I don't know what that means for you. That might mean family, or it might mean food, or it might mean, mean kind of the parties or the games that you wanted to play, or perhaps it means the presents that you gave. And did they hit their target? Did they, was it the right size or the right color or the right thing? And, and, and I know some of us, especially younger people, think, did I get what I wanted for Christmas? And I think 
it's relevant for us to think about the passing of Christmas and receiving and giving of gifts as one of the major hallmarks of what makes this such a popular holiday around the world. People who don't even acknowledge Jesus celebrate Christmas. You know, Japan has a big Christmas holiday, and Jesus is not anywhere a part of it, but they love to give gifts. It's a big deal. So gift-giving is a big part of the holiday, and I want to focus in a little bit on that because this passage talks about giving. It talks about it in a number of different ways. We're going we're gonna to look at that. But I want to ask you, did you get what you wanted, or did, did you give what they wanted? And, and if you did, how would you know that? If someone opens a present that you give to them and they cast it aside, you think, well, that was, I missed the mark on that one. But if they stare deeply into it, or if they, they, they extol the beauties of it, or they, they, they break it out, open the box, pull out the instructions, start learning how to use it, and then they immediately put it into practice, whether it's a tool or a toy or some kind of trinket, if it hits the mark, you know that they're going to pay attention to it. And I want to just cut to the chase and say, that's God's word. And what I want to encourage you to do today is to treat God's word like a precious gift, something that's just what you wanted, just what you needed, just the right size, just the right time, from the heart of God to the heart of his children. He loves us, so he gives us good gifts. And we're going to talk about the word of God, how it's a gift to us for our journey, not unlike Ezra's, into our new year. So at the end of this, I'm going to encourage you to read your Bibles. I'm going to encourage you to read the whole Bible. I'm going to, read you to, I'm going to encourage you to read the whole Bible in a year. It doesn't say that in the passage. That's just what I'm going to do. So that's the, that's the hidden prize at the end. So when I get there, you'll know I'm close to being done. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is... Right? And God so loved the world that he... God's a gift giver, isn't he? And he's given us his word, his precious, true, life-giving, life-changing, God-glorifying word that we would know him, that we would open it up, that we dig into it, make use of it, and know him better. So will we use this gift? Do we know how it works? Do we know what its features are? Do we know about its quality? Do we know what it's for? What are we going to do with it? Where is it going to be this time next year? Will it be on a shelf or in the bin, like so many of what we gave out and spent so long pondering and preparing and wrapping? And by that, I really mean, where will we be in a year? Will we be more like Christ? Will we be able to look around this body and see new believers who didn't know Jesus, but because he's infused us with his gospel message, it went out from us, we used it like he told us to, and it bore fruit, it performed the function for which he gave it to us. Will we be more like Jesus in a year? Will, it, will the word have its effect on us? If we're not in it, it won't happen. But if we are in it, we can trust through this passage, truly, that what God is saying here is when you use it, when you apply yourself to it, his hand is upon you for good. So that's what it is. As a heads up, I'm just going to focus really on verse 10, but I want to draw some, a little bit more attention to what we're doing in verses 1 through 9. Um, verse 10 says, For Ezra had set his heart to study the Torah, or the law of the Lord, and to do it, and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. So in that one verse, there are four verbs, set, study, do, and teach. We're going we're to ping on each one of those a little bit as we go through the passage. 
So we're going to look at Ezra in just these few verses. We're going to figure out who he was and what he was doing, where he was. We're going to talk a little bit about what he did and about how God gifted him. The word gift is going to come out throughout this passage. I hope you hear it as God's gift to you. And by doing that, I hope I can encourage you to humbly receive God's gift, this extravagant gift of his word, and that you would treasure it, that you would faithfully use it, that you would live it out, and that you would share it. Folks, this is not like re-gifting. You get something you don't want and you give it away. When you get God's word and you use it right, you're giving it away all the time. And you're using it every day. So first, just a little bit of history. Bear with me. I think it helps us to understand why we're, t- why we're looking at Ezra. So we're going to look at just a little bit of the, of the story of Israel. Remember, God established his people in the promised land, right? He took them out of Egypt, across the Jordan with Joshua. They conquered. They set up tribes. They, they settled the land, and then they wanted a king. So God gave them a king, and that was Saul, and that didn't work out. And then God gave him a king, David, and that was great, except it didn't work out permanently. And the line of kings eventually broke into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So God's unified people are broken now. The northern kingdom had no good kings, and eventually they were they were captured, conquered by, by Assyria, and taken into capti- captivity in Assyria. The southern kingdom held on a little longer with a couple of good kings, but eventually they too turned away from God, and he brought Babylon in, which had conquered Assyria already, and then it came in and conquered, as God's instrument of judgment, came in and conquered his own people and took them into captivity in Babylon. And then Babylon was overcome by Persia. Okay, so now the time of Ezra, we're seeing the kingdom of Persia, kings like like Cyrus, like Darius, like Artaxerxes. And now Artaxerxes is the king here. And he's actually saying, I want to send some people back 850 miles. So before the time of Ezra, a group went back to try to rebuild the temple. And they actually set the foundations. The temple had been completely wiped out. They set the foundations and they started rebuilding. It took about 20 years and they rebuilt the temple. It wasn't quite like it was in Solomon's day. It wasn't the beautiful thing that it had been before, but at least it was a place where they could offer sacrifices, where the priests could do their job, where the people could come and worship and get back into a right relationship with God. There was a building. What Artaxerxes is doing is another kind of building program. He's sending Ezra not as a carpenter or a stonecutter or a mason. He's sending him as a builder of community. So his skill was not in building buildings. His skill was in building people. God had gifted him from birth with a knack. The Hebrew word is like a, he had a particular kind of inborn skill with the word, but he also focused himself on the word because he was going to do more than just build a building. He was going to build a community, okay? And that's where we kind of pick up our story in verses 1 through 5, we see Ezra has this incredible pedigree, these credentials. He, he traces his lineage all the way back to Aaron, the chief priest, the main guy. So this is a way of saying Ezra is a pretty big deal. He's not just some guy. He's not just a willing servant who raises his hand and says, I'll try. He's got credentials. He's got, he's got genealogical credentials all the way back to Aaron. Okay. He is also a scribe, which in this in this context, it's not like one of those scribes that Jesus puts down to the scribes and Pharisees. He's a scribe. He's, he's actually got political experience. He's got political acumen. A scribe was probably someone who was, had a place in the government. Okay? It's not just someone who wrote things down. It was someone who had political influence. 
more than a lobbyist, more like a, an advisor, okay? Highly placed in government. So he has a lineage, he has a skill, he has political influence and understanding. He's skilled in the law, the Torah of Moses, that, that would be like the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He'd been given these gifts. And then it says he was given even more gifts, okay? It even says in verse 6, are you looking at it, verse 6 there? It says, uh, at the end of the verse, it says, and the king granted him all that he asked. How many of you got all that you wanted for Christmas? <laughs> Ezra was given everything that he asked from the king. Okay, that's gifts. More gifts. And what, was he, what did he need? What did he ask for? He wanted people. He wanted singers. Amen? He wanted gatekeepers. He wanted temple servants. He wanted other of the priestly class. Why? Because he's building a community. He needs people because he's going to plant a church. He's got his core group all picked out. And the king said, take them. And not only that, the king sent back all the implements that had been seized and captured. When they took the temple, they took all the serving utensils and everything that they used for the service of the Lord, all the gold and the silver, and he gave that back to him as well. So they took it all back because they were going to build community. All right, That's what Ezra's doing. And in two times, in, this, in these verses, it says God's hand was on him. That's a good thing. Verse 6. It says, this Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given him. And the king granted him all that he asked. Why? For the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And then again in verse 9, it says the same thing. It says, from the first day of the first month, happy new year, he began to go up from Babylonia. And on the first day of the fifth month, five-month journey, he came to Jerusalem for the good hand of his God was on him. Okay? He had safe passage. If you can imagine traveling on foot with an entourage, carrying a bunch of gold and silver through Babylon, up the Euphrates, and down, into, down through Syria, and into the Holy Land, and he made it. He wasn't robbed, he wasn't killed, he wasn't captured, he wasn't beaten up. He made it, because God's hand was on him. And then in verse 10, it says why God's hand was on him. And that's what we're going to focus on right there. It says that right in verse 10. Why was God's good hand on him in verse 6 and in verse 9. It says it right there in verse 10. For, which means because, or since, or for the reason that, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. He set his heart to study, to do it, and to teach it. God sends Israel, Ezra. He gifts him. He protects him. He uses him. His favor is on him. He sends him to Jerusalem to build a community where it had little to no spiritual leadership or vitality. The temple was there, but it was only a building. And a building only gives you a place. Because when the temple was there, people turned from God, brought idols into the temple. It wasn't about the building. It was about their hearts. It was about their devotion to the Lord, to his word, to what he'd said, to what he'd commanded. You turn aside from that, it doesn't matter what your building looks like. Amen? And if you're, if you're focused on the Lord and his word, it doesn't matter what your building looks like. Amen? Okay, here we are, folks. It's not about the building. It's about building the community. And that's what I want us to see. That's what I want us to be doing. The people needed the word. They needed to be devoted to it, to learn it, to do it, and to pass it on. So the first word we're going to look at is set. Okay, first point. 
set. God's favor was on Ezra because he dedicated himself to God's word. The word set is like a gift right alongside all, the king, all that the king of Persia gave to help the returning captives because it's a gift. It's a gift from God. It's something he wants us to have. What's our response to this gift? What's your response to the best gift you ever got? You, you look at it. You, you pay attention to it. You devote yourself to it. You want to deal with it. You want to play with it. You want to look at it. You wanna, if it's a book, you read it. A book you want, you read it. You don't say, put it on the shelf, right? If it's a video game, kids, you want to go and play it, right? If it's a tool, guys, you want to build something, fix something, right? My wife loves yarn. She's like, oh, I can make something, right? You don't just say, lovely yarn, put it on a shelf. You use it, okay? And that's what Ezra's doing. He's setting his heart. He's committed to it. Okay, the word set can also mean established, like driven home like a 16-penny nail, bam, set like concrete. Ezra's heart was like a compass that points north no matter what. It's like, it's like when you set your destination on your smartphone. How many of you do that? An annoying thing doesn't tell you you blew it. It just tells you, no, no, turn right. You missed the turn. It doesn't say you missed the turn. It just says turn right, right? But it keeps you going towards that dot, right? Whatever you do, no, turn, okay, this way, good, continue, right? That's what his heart was like. His heart was set. His heart was pointed to that pin on the map on God's word, okay? Now, resolve, I want to tell you, personal resolve, like, like New Year's resolutions. How many of you ever make New Year's resolutions? Some of you, no, one of you, am I the only one? Two of us, three of us, five of us are honest, some of us make New Year's resolutions like the diet or the, you know, the go to the gym thing or the I'm going to spend more time doing this or I'm going to spend less time doing that or I'm going to eat more of this or I'm going to eat less of that. Resolve matters, okay? I'm not going to say it doesn't matter. It is relevant. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, your resolve is paper thin. So it's really trusting in God to help keep you focused. It's not about Ezra's heart as much as it is who was the ruler of Ezra's heart. So he set his heart indeed. His resolve was strong. He made a commitment, but it was because of the strength of God, because of the power of the Holy Spirit working in him that he was able to maintain that resolve. I'm encouraged to treat God's word as a gift. I want to encourage you to treat God's word as a gift, like food, like, like give us this day our daily bread. It's like food. Uh, it, I don't know if any of you ever fast. If you go without food, even for a meal, what happens? You get hungry. What happens if you go for th without food for th three meals? You get hungrier, right? Well, what happens if you go without the Word? I think sometimes we lose our taste for it. Maybe, maybe if you miss a day, you go, oh, I, I missed a day, I want to go back and get it. But if you go a week without it, it's kind of like, ah, I'll get back to it. It's not like food that you eat in your mouth, it's kind of like it loses its savor, it loses its vitality, it loses some of its draw for us. I want to caution us to say, if you, if you let it languish, it will sit there, not like your stomach. Your stomach is going to remind you, you need to get back to, let's get to the fridge right now, right? Okay? You're starting to see pictures of food, right? Without the word, we sometimes lose our taste for it, and that's a warning. That's a warning to us all. So Ezra set his heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, we can set our hearts as well. 
I want you to make a commitment. I want you to say, yes, God's word is worth it. Yes, it's a gift. Yes, it's what I need. Yes, it's good. Yes, it's precious. Yes, it's treasure. I want to ponder it. I want to get involved in it. I want to know what it says about God, and I want to, I want to know what it tells me about what I should do. And then the good hand of the Lord will be on us. We want that. We want to have a prosperous new year. Here's the secret. Set your heart on the word. And secondly, we talk about study. What, Ezra, what did Ezra set his heart to do? He set his heart to study and do and teach. So study here is from a word which means to seek, to go after it, okay? It's to, it's to chase down. It's to hunt like treasure, okay? Uh, to, to dig into it, to, to, to explore what it means, all right? Think about treasure hunting or geocaching or, or seeking after something valuable. When you, when you can't find your keys, what do you do? Ah, well... No, you keep looking till you find them, right? Seeking after it, okay? And anything that you pursue, I mean, I, I know a number of you fairly well, and, and some of you a little bit, you're going after something, your, your career or, or your hobby or your family or your personal development, or you're going after a lot of things. Anything that you really want to do that's worthwhile involves study. You want to, you want to practice music? You got to study, right? Piano teachers, right? You got to practice. Yeah. If you want to play sports, you don't just show up, walk on, expect a starting position. You got to practice. You got to study. And we see the same thing in Ezra when he pursues the law of God. He really wants to know it well. He wants to understand it. And he wants to remember what God has said about himself, how we're to live. Okay. So now you might say, study, well, I, don't, I really don't have time. Or you might say, well, of course Ezra studied the word. He's a priest. That's his job. I have a different job. It's not my job. But Ezra could say to us, folks, you have more of the scriptures than I have. You have the New Testament revelation. Folks, you have more free time than any generation in the history of mankind. You're not scrabbling after what you're going to eat. You're not trying to rebuild your shelter every couple of months. Okay? You're, you're choosing what you want to wear and not wondering how you're going to replace the one garment that you own. Ezra really showed his devotion. Where are we? What kind of free time do we have? What kind of time do we devote to other things other than this eternal gift, this precious treasure? Ezra might say, well, I had individual scrolls, and if you just wanted the scroll of Samuel, it would be all you could carry, right? That's it. And if you wanted to get to a certain part, you'd have to unroll it to get to that spot, find where it was, use your pointer not to touch the ink because it might fade because you touched it, and you'd find the spot that you wanted to read it. And we have an infinite number of Bible translations and versions. I think there are 400 English versions of the Bible. 400. Is that amazing? And you can, and you can pick it on your... What would Ezra do with a smartphone? Right? He's saying... He set his heart to study it. What are, you, what are we doing with it? We have so much of it, we're, we tend to, to, to value it less. And first Peter, Peter might say something, have something to say about this too. He, would, he might say to all Christians, he might say something like, oh, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. To proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Why would you not seek to honor your God by studying his word? So God's given us his word, this gift, so we must study it to know his will for us. That's, that's the way you could join a Bible study. You could do that. That's good. 
But learn to study the Bible on your own. There are methods, there are books, there are commentaries, there are web resources. You know. I, I would, if I just turned you all loose with your phones, you could find as many as there are of us here, each one of us could find 10 discrete ways of studying the Bible in this room. Folks, do you know what Muslims call Christians? Muslims refer to Christians as people of the book. And I think that's reasonable for us to want to live up to that. I think we should be people of the book. How do we know who God is? The book. How do we know how to live? The book. How do we know how to treat each other? The book. How do we know how to resolve disputes? The book. How do we know how to worship? The book. It's all about what he's given to us in his word. Let's be people of the book. Pastor John has encouraged us to study with some reminders. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down if you don't have it already written down in your study notes. He wants you to, to consider that as you're reading through the Bible, you're alternating between deep and wide. Sometimes you read a lot, and sometimes you put on the brakes and you go, whoa, what was that? Let's go deeper. What is that? All right, you want to ask yourselves four questions. Who is God? What has he done for me? Who am I in this passage? How do I fit in? And how can I live? What we to believe about God? What duties God requires of him? That's, that's one of the basic questions. We have some good teachers here at Grace. There are other good teachers on the internet. I want to encourage you to study the word. It's not drudgery to study something that you love. And if you don't love it yet, begin by reading it, and you will learn to love the beauty and blessing of God's word. But Ezra didn't stop with studying. He set himself to study and to do, okay? Do. Was there a gift this Christmas that, that, that requires assembly? I don't know, when my, my kids were little, um, Christmas Eve was a time of socket wrenches and screwdrivers. Yeah, it, some of you with little kids, are you nodding your heads? Some of you who had little kids who are now grown, you're thinking, whew, it's different now, right? I see some nods. It's, it's putting stuff together, right? So did you, I want to know, did you use the instructions, right? No. Did you just wing it, just go for it, okay? Right, just go for it. Uh, I was an instructions guy, like, what's, what's step 41B? Like, <laughs> Got to, get this, got to get this prepared because they're going to be up in two hours. Okay. Well, for Ezra, Ezra uh, set his heart to study and to do. He didn't just sit there and ponder the instruction manual. He didn't just say, isn't this cool? You know, tab A and a slot B. Oh. No, he set, him, set himself out to do it. All right. And, and you get that. That's, this is not revolutionary ideas. You don't just want to read it. You don't just want to be a head full of knowledge. You want to be hands full of work, right? You want to be busy. You want to be doing what he said. If he says go do, you want to go do, right? That's what Ezra set his heart to do. It's pretty straightforward. Except this, this was possibly the hardest part. We know that we're supposed to do the word, but, but, but look what, what James says in chapter 1. Let's, let's look there. I mean, this is, this is, this is tough stuff, right? And it's written to us because we might have a problem with it. James, James chapter 1, 22. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Folks, part of why Ezra 
was in Babylon in the first place is because Israel knew the word and didn't do it. If they had done it, there would have been no reason for captivity and conquest. The temple that Solomon built would probably still be standing. Okay? I know that's all hypothetical in God's plan, and yes, God's plan is good. Wipe that temple out, build another one, wipe that one down. Now we have the temple of Christ, right? I get that. But I'm saying Ezra's going back to build a community that knew the word but didn't do it. They ignored it. And they had teachers, they ignored them. So it's not enough to just study. We have to do, all right? Jesus also warns us in Matthew 23. I want to read that for you too. Uh, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. That's sobering. So what is the word for someone who says one thing and does another? What do we call that? Hypocrite, right? Right? Do as I say. (laughs) Who likes hearing that? (laughs) No kid ever. (laughs) And no kid ever goes, oh, that makes sense. Yes, I'll do that because your words speak louder than your actions. They don't. Right? They don't. We teach a lot without even opening our mouths by just how we live, right? So we must do, I must do, Ezra did, he set his heart to do, but here's a good place to remember that we're not saved by our doing. Titus 3, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works by, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So we have to be careful, we're not saved by our works, we're not saved by our doing, we're saved by grace. So Ezra is going to lead. He's going to build a community. He had to be out in front doing what others could emulate. And that is an active response to truth. When you know it's true and you act on it, that's faith. That's, I, heard, I hear the word, I believe it. How do, how do you know I believe it? I actually do what it says, right? That's kind of like faith without works is dead when James says that. Because if you believe it, you'll do it. So the not doing is really just an expression of your faith. I know what you say. I'm not going to do it. That's a way of expressing your disbelief in the word. So Ezra, of course, committed himself. Of course, he studied the word. That's his job. But he has to do the word to lead well, all right? He's going to lead. He's got to do. He's going to actively respond, demonstrating his faith, okay? So set, study, do. What's the last one? Teach, okay? Ezra was coming to Jerusalem to his own countrymen, with some returning exiles to a rebuilt temple, but they were demoralized, they were weakened, they weren't unified, they really didn't have anything to hold them together except this building, all right? They didn't even have walls in the city yet, and that's going to come later in Nehemiah. But he wasn't building a building, right? He's building a community. This is like church planting. Church planting is building a community, all right? It's not about building a building. A building would be nice, but that doesn't make a church, It's the community of faith, okay? That's what he came to do. And he set his heart to teach God's statutes and rules in Israel. So if we remember why the people had gone into captivity in the first place, they didn't believe, they weren't doing, what do they need? They need a teacher. They need someone who will show them and tell them, all right? So 
if Israel's bringing in foreign gods and idolatry and immorality, and God sends in his discipline and foreign armies and captivity, we, we have the same danger. If we are not doing what God has said, and if we don't have good teaching about what we are supposed to do, what we're supposed to believe, and how we're supposed to live, we're in danger of being split apart as well, just coming apart at the seams. This is why it's so important. So as the people are coming back from captivity, gradually, in, in different groups, they needed a temple, they need a city, they need walls, they need protection, they need provision, but even more, they need to know the law of the Lord, otherwise they're in danger of coming apart again, all right? So does our culture in this country need to know the word of God? Some say yes. <laughs> yes, right? Christians need to know it. So, so do not those who do not follow God need to hear the word? Do they not need to have the word brought to them? So if so, if that's true, then, then let's, let's follow up with a question that Paul asks in Romans 10. He, in verse 14, he says, How will they call on him on whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him on whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Okay, so Ezra set his heart to teach the law. And Christians can set our heart to give the gospel. Now, now some of you are probably thinking, no, I'm not a teacher. That's not my job. Uh, I'm not a preacher. You might even be thinking of James chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for, if, for you know that we who teach will be judged with stricter or greater strictness. I feel that. I feel that on Saturday nights before I'm going to preach. It's like, I better get this right. I better get this right, because I'm giving God's word to God's people. And if I get this wrong, I'm judged with greater strictness. I know that there are some who will be gifted to be teachers. Elders should be able to teach. But we're all called to make disciples. Would you agree with that? Even if you're not called to stand up and preach the message, you are called to make disciples. That's the great commission, right? And who is that given to? God's people, right? It's given to God's people. Great commission. Matthew 28, right? Verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came up to them and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the Great Commission. So we're supposed to go, right, wherever we go. We're supposed to baptize people, that is, bring them into the faith, right? And then we're supposed to teach them. We're all supposed to teach them, okay? We're not necessarily all supposed to preach in a church setting like this in a worship service. But we're all called to teach in some way as we're making disciples, okay? Some of you can teach a class like with little worshipers, amen? Some of you can teach Sunday school, amen? Some of you can teach in a community group or a Bible study, amen? Some of you can teach with grace students, right? Or you can give someone the gospel who might not come to church for any of those programs. Or some of you can take heart from 1 Peter 3. It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Sometimes your conduct teaches. Amen? In fact, your conduct always teaches in some way. Do as I say, not as I... Yeah, your conduct always teaches. And fathers and mothers, if you have kids in the home still, here's a word from Deuteronomy 6, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. There's teach, right? And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. 
okay? And another benefit, folks, if this, as if there weren't enough wonderful gifts packed up in this, another benefit of teaching is that's how you learn better than anything. When you teach something, you learn it so much better than if you just sit passively and listen. Teaching is a great way to learn, okay? So we're coming to the end here. If you love your community, if you love your family, if you love your church, you can set your heart, commit to study, get into the Word, to do it. Don't just be a hearer, right? And then to teach. Pass it on. Where'd you get it? From the Word. Go here. Show them the Word. Teach them where you got it. Start by the commitment, all right? And so a commitment I want to invite you to consider involves some numbers. There are 1,189 chapters in the Bible, all 66 books, 1,189, okay? So I want to consider, can I do 1189 in 2022? What does that look like? 99 verses, sorry, chapters a month. 99 chapters a month. No money down, 12 easy payments, okay? Or, if you want to break it down, it's, it's 23 and me, 23 chapters a week. 23 chapters a week is all it takes, right? Or, or three plus one a day. Read, read three, two in the old, one in the new, and a psalm. Just read the whole Bible, and it will change your life. You will be more committed than when you started. It will transform your thinking. It will inform your living. It will bless those around you. But it's not about works, folks. This is not how you gain God's favor. Yes, you set your heart to study and do and teach, but without faith in Jesus Christ, God's good hand is not going to be on you. It's just a work. It's a vain work. So the word is essential, but before that even starts, if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, you're, you're in a vain journey. You'll puff up and explode, or you'll burn out, or you'll be so frustrated because you don't have the power to do what he's asked you to do. But with God, all things are possible. And without faith, it's impossible to please him. So folks, faith comes first. But once you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a believer in Jesus Christ, open this gift, enjoy it, spread it around, share it with others. Just as Ezra went back to a place where the temple had already been rebuilt, we have churches all around us, all around us in this community and throughout the country. What Ezra came to do, we are here to do. We want to do the same thing he was doing. We want to participate with the Lord Jesus Christ as he builds his church. Amen? We're going to build each other up into a temple of living stones. Building a church in this generation happens a lot like it did in Ezra's day. So for the new year, I want to invite you to set your heart to study, to do, and to teach the law of the Lord. I guarantee there's going to be more, of you, more, more asked of you in the new year. This is just a baseline. This is what gives it all context. Without this, all the other stuff that you do is going to not have footing. It's, not, it's going to be shaky, okay? So let's use this gift on our journey for the new year that we can be further along come next December, more skilled, more unified, more delighted, more devoted, living out the word and sharing it with others. Let's pray. Father, you've given us your word. You've given us paper Bibles and electronic Bibles, online Bibles, old Bibles, new Bibles, English Bibles, Greek and Hebrew, all kinds of different ways of getting at your word. You've given us Bible teachers. You've given us church ministries. You've given us parachurch organizations. You've given us 
radio and podcasts and, and websites and, and all manner of things I haven't even mentioned. What used to be tapes and CDs has now become an instant electronic access to anything we want to know. Lord, may we open up this gift and make use of it. May we treat it as precious as it is to you. May we, may we treat it with the, the, the energy that was spent in delivering it to us, for those who gave their lives to preserve the word or to, to, to write it down. Lord, may we, may we see this gift as your love for us expressed in words. And may we live it out as a way of showing our love for you and for what you've done for us in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. 